Presented by Kamuk Ukulele Magazine, this is Ukulele Stories. This episode is brought to you by Carla Ukulele. Founded in 2005, Carla is the best-known ukulele in the world, and easily the most diverse. You can choose a Carla ukulele made from mahogany, maple, acacia, cedar, ebony, and the exotic African timber, Ziracote. Carla ukuleles come in all sizes, soprano, concert, tenor, and the now very popular baritone. There's a Carla to suit players of all ages and abilities. Plug in, play an electric Carla through an amp, and you'll really stand out. And don't forget the legendary Carla U-Bass, a four-string bass ukulele that adds the perfect bottom end to any ukulele group. Carla ukuleles can be seen and played at most music stores around Australia and the USA. Head to your local store and try one today. Hello, I'm Cameron Murray and this is episode 4 of Ukulele Stories. Today my special guest is Rose Turtle Ertzler. Since she began performing with a uke in 2000, Rose has been a fixture on the Australian ukulele scene and has been instrumental, pun very much intended, in popularising the instrument down under. In 2004, she organised a concert called Ukulele Land on Sydney's famous Bondi Beach, which turned out to be quite a pivotal event. Aside from her uke activities, Rose is always involved in many art projects and refugee activism, and is without question one of the most creative people I know. I hope you enjoy our chat. Rose, hello and welcome to Ukulele Stories. Hello Cameron, thanks for having me. No problem at all, of course, we had to have you, you're so (laughs) integral to the ukulele scene down here. What an honour. (laughs) <laughs> now, let's let's start at the beginning, because that's a good place to start. You grew up in Tasmania then, is that right? Because you, you just recently moved back there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I grew up there in, in um, Devonport, and then I left, I left when I was 18 and gallivanted around for 31 years, and then last December, in, about five months ago, I, I moved back. So why did you move back? Was it kind of a harking back to uh... your childhood, or...? Uh, I think my my sister moved to this little village, which is about uh, nearly an hour away from where we grew up, and um, the the house next door came up for sale, <laughs> and it's really cheap. It's really cheap down there, and um, so I so and our dear auntie Joy left us both some money years ago, and I I never even wanted to buy a piece of the earth. I always thought it was really strange. People can sell you a bit of the the, the, the earth anyway. I bought this house and um, right next to my sister. And I, th- I thought I'd go- move down later, but then last year I just suddenly decided I might as well go down before I get old so I can dig the garden <laughs> while I'm still mobile. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, that sounds good. Well, t- tell me a bit about your childhood then. Like, how Was it a very musical family you were in? Yeah, yeah, I was, I was spoilt that way. My, um, my funny Hungarian father played um, lots of – oh, he, 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 yeah, he played lots of instruments – and he'd he'd kind of buy them from garage sales and do them up a bit, kind of a bit roughly. <laughs> and yeah, and he'd he'd often say after school he'd say, "Come on, let, who wants to have a sing song?" And one of us would um, play the piano from the old Reader's Digest songbook, so he could practice one of his instruments, like violin and trumpet and clarinet, and yeah, he had them all hanging up on the on the wall. Yeah, so that was really that was really amazing, you know. And we, we I also had sort of normal piano lessons, but the kind of family sing-along sort of stuff was more important, I guess. Are they still around? Do they still play? Or oh, my father died when I was seventeen, so he's not around. But um, and mum was mum was sort of she's trained as an opera singer when she was young, but she kind of something happened when she was about twenty, and 
she kind of lost all her confidence and lost her voice. So, um, but she, we, I still, you know, when I visit mum, we have, we sing, I play, and she plays the piano. So we, we, ha- we sing at the piano and, and that's really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. And so where does the ukulele come in then? Well, I mean, we, I know we did have a couple of ukuleles when I was a child, but we didn't really play them. They were just kind of there. But I bought a ukulele when I was living in Sydney, probably um, when I was doing kind of music for theatre shows. So I had lot, kind of, you know, lot, 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 you have to have lots of instruments. And I guess it was before you, you could use kind of MIDI sounds. You had to actually have the real instrument. So, um, and so I had a ukulele. I used, I don't know, I can't even remember what, what I used it for, but for some little ditty I had to play. And then... But then, then I went overseas and I kind of scaled down all my, my belongings and, but I kept the ukulele just because it was small and I, my ukulele, my um, keyboard got stolen and I think I gave my guitar away or something. But so yeah, but I, I kept it just because it was small and then when I came back from overseas, I that's kind of all I had and I looked at it <laughs> and I thought I just suddenly thought, well, if I plug that into a an effects pedal, I could make it sound like a guitar. Or I could make it sound like other instruments, but I can still ride my bike to gigs. So it was, it was actually kind of a really practical <laughs> practical reason. And so I did. I went down to Pete's Musicians Mart in uh, South Newtown <laughs> and bought an effects pedal. And so it could kind of change the pitch of the ukulele up, up or down and distortion and, you know, lots of funny effects. And it was, uh, it was amazing. It was just like this whole new kind of library of, of sounds I could now choose from, just from one instrument. Mm. So what year was this approximately? Uh, I think I did my first gig in 2000, ukulele gig. So I'd probably been practising for a couple of years before that or just mucking around with it. Right. And uh, what about theory? Do you have much musical theory or is it just all kind of experience and experimentation for you? Oh, well, I mean, I learned, I guess I learned to read music when I was learning the piano when I was young, but, um, and I've, I guess, yeah, it, it has been handy to be able to sometimes notate music or read it, but not that often. So, so I try to, yeah, do a lot by ear as well, I guess. Well, when you started playing sort of proper gigs in 2000, then I guess it was the genesis of the third wave of uke was just happening really online. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And but I, I guess you were still getting some funny looks at these gigs. Oh yeah, I'd turn up to a gig, especially. I remember when I moved to Melbourne in two thousand and three, and I suppose I was, yeah, I'd been I'd been doing gigs already. But you know, I um, I turn up to a gig, you know, in this grungy old smelly pub, which I love, <laughs> and and I'd have my ukulele, and the sound dude was kind of like, oh yeah, he's you know, you know, someone with a ukulele, it's going to be really kind of I don't know, like Tiny Tim or something. But then I'd plug in my distortion pedal, and and yeah, and and because I, I had a little um, drum machine, little kind of, um, I guess it was a eighties or nineties drum machine that um, as well. So it was kind of yeah, it was a, a, not a sound that the sound man expected to hear on the ukulele. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Probably impressed them, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. How do you think the the whole scene has changed since then, since two thousand? Wow, hasn't it changed? It's so different. I mean, I think in every way, really. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like I mean, now it's you know, there's clubs everywhere, and it's a real. Um, I mean, it's an amazing community. 
um, tool, I guess, to bring you know to bring people together, um, and you know, and people, you know, people who have not necessarily played much music before in their lives, and then, which is you know amazing. Not, not I think there's no other instruments that that, that do that. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, I guess when I started, and I I didn't know I didn't know any other ukulele players. I mean, I knew that they were out there, or kind of tucked away out there. And of course, I'd heard you know, heard of Mick Conway and kind of people like that. But um, I, I was just doing my my own little thing. It wasn't sort of, I didn't feel like I was part of a ukulele community or network. But now, it's I mean, and I guess as years went by, I realised and and did and and it sort of did start to um, the ukulele started to become more popular. And also, you know, then you realise how it's been popular before in overseas and. And yeah, so it's yeah, it's changed. <laughs> it's changed a lot. Sorry, did I answer the question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, fast forwarding a little bit to two thousand and four, and it's yeah. something I've uh, already mentioned on the podcast is the Ukulele Land concert at Bondi. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that is a bit of a seminal moment for you in Australia. Is well, it's certainly in Sydney. Um, yeah, yeah. How did it actually come about? Um, well, that's where you, I met you, isn't it? Yeah, it um, is. Well, that's my other question, actually. How did you find me? Because I, I can't remember. Oh, oh, I can't remember how oh, you find well, any well, of us. Ah, oh, well, so so my friend Jeff Stein was running a, a festival at Bondi Pavilion called Live Bait. I just remembered that last night. I was trying to <laughs> kind of think about this interview thing, Live Bait, and so he and and I was just talking to him about the ukulele, and, and I think he probably even suggested. I can't remember. He said, "Why don't you get see get some ukulele players together." And then, and uh, then I, so then I started yeah, looking for ukulele players, and I can't remember how I found you. How would I have found you? I, I literally have no idea. So I found Azo Bell, and I found Mick, well Mick Conway, and may, maybe it might have been and, through and Mick I, actually. Yeah, yeah, maybe he suggested. And then Charles Altman, who, who I heard on your on this you being interviewed him being interviewed last week, which was great, and. Then through Charles. Oh yeah. How did you find Charles? That's a very good question. I think I can't remember. Would, would Mick Conway have known? I can't remember. Oh, it's a long time ago. Let's <laughs> let's not let's not dwell on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we move on? Well, you well <laughs> yeah. you did find us, and it was just such a terrific event. It was so well uh, received, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was fantastic, and I think it was it was it was a great event, wasn't it? And it was kind of. If, and because it was right right by the beach, you know, you could see the beach out the window. That was kind of really, well, it was our as as, as Hawaiian as we could get, I suppose, in Australia. <laughs> yeah, it was full. And then and oh, then, and that's right. And then um, uh, we screened that film called Rock That Uke straight yes, after the Bill, concert. Bill Robertson's great film, Rock That Uke. And he and he he came all the way from America to um to see it to be to be there just for just to be there for that. How did you meet Bill? Ah. Oh. So, so Bill, so he's a filmmaker in America, and he, I think I'm, I must have just found him on the internet. Is the internet happening then? <laughs> yeah, it, must yeah have been. it was. I, 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 no, I did because I looked up. You know, I was, I started researching the, the ukulele scene, I guess, and of course, you know, ended up looking in America, and and then and then I guess because Bill made this documentary, which is all about kind of the experimental end of ukulele players. Mm, it's a great film. Which was actually, yeah, isn't it great? But it was a bit criticised by the more sort of traditional ukulele players because it didn't kind of it wasn't about them <laughs> it was about it didn't kind of include that no part it of was it, more it was, more about the fringe yeah and it was about all these really great characters who kind of were in their own little world wherever they were in america but and weren't aware of all the other 
people doing weird stuff with the ukulele as well. So I must have just found him on the internet and we, yeah, we became really good friends. And yeah, and so he thought he'd fly over to Sydney for the screening of this film. It was beautiful. Well, not long after that, actually, uh, you went to his hometown, didn't you, for the New York Uke Fest? I did. That was And that was amazing. I felt so, um, oh, such an honour to be there. So I met so many amazing ukulele players. And and that that's where it really um, kind of became, well, really um, emphasised how versatile the ukulele is because I saw, you know, like really expert players in every genre of music. You know, there was Hawaiian, of course, and jazz, and classical and country. You know, there was really weird experimental stuff. And there was just, yeah, just it's covered so, covered so many genres. It was just really fantastic to see that. When I interviewed you uh, for Cami Ukulele magazine in 2011, you described your music as wonky folk. Is, oh, yeah. Is, right. is that still an accurate description? Oh, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. Yeah, I guess well, it's so. hard. To, it's always hard to uh, categorise your own music, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think probably since then I've kind of written more. Some songs have been a bit more... Um, sort of political or act, sort of activist I guess. So maybe so that maybe that word has to go in there too somewhere now. <laughs> protest, protest songs, no, I don't know, that's a bit... Well, I guess that sort of ties in with your work with the uh, Black Orchid String Band. Yeah. Um, can you tell yeah. us a bit about that? Oh, yeah, okay. So the um, Black Orchid String Band, they're a, they're a group of um, beautiful people from West Papua who are now living in Australia, mostly in Melbourne, a couple are in Canberra. And I, I met them in Melbourne. I met them at a, at actually a, a muck open, open mic, open ukulele night that the Melbourne Ukulele Collective um, runs every month. They were just they were, they were just one of them lives lives nearby, and and their friend just brought them to this ukulele night, and they played a few songs. And I just love. I mean, it was just so refreshing the way they they play, and yeah, and I was, you know we're, we're so close to the Pacific Islands, and we don't really. I think the ukulele scene isn't that connected to the, those communities because they because they have their own communities. They don't need to be part of the ukulele scene, I guess. Yeah, so I met them and I just, yeah, I just talked to them and they were, I just, yeah, they were about, so I'd, I'd heard about what was happening in West Papua before, but I hadn't met anyone from there and I, you know, they're fighting for their independence for about, about 50 years. The Indonesians took over and it's been really awful, um, you know, basically having their culture destroyed. So yeah, I wanted to be their friends. So, <laughs> so I just hung around them a bit, and I, um, we did some gig. I organised some some gigs in Ballarat and Castlemaine and Melbourne to raise money for this uh, Freedom Flotilla, which was a adventure up to kind of reuniting the Australian Indigenous land with the Indigenous West Papuan land, um, with um, with the Aboriginal man, Uncle Buzz, um, Kevin Buzzacott, who I'd known for a while too. So. So anyway, so we did we did some gigs together, and then they said, "Oh, you know, we'll play a song together." And so I taught them one of my songs, and they taught me one of their songs, and then, and then got like it's, it was just really gradual over the last I don't know six years. They um, that asked me to play play with them a little bit at their gigs, or just be a guest and do a song, and I wrote them a song, and then they'd say, "I'll just stay on stage for for the next two songs," <laughs> and then. Then yeah, so now I'm in, now I'm in the band. So I feel very lucky because I'm the only Australian in the band, and and um, but and I've you know I've learned a lot of stuff about about their beautiful songs. It's all it's all traditional songs from their country. Two years ago we recorded a CD, and 
yeah, yeah. So we sort of we're trying to sort of start to do a few more festivals, and we went to Adelaide a couple of, couple of uh, last month. We went to Adelaide and did a gig, and so yeah, that's no, good. It's good. It's a beautiful family to be part of. Speaking of songwriting, as you said you, you wrote a few for them, and you've you've put out a lot of your own uh, songs. How do you go about writing a song usually? Do you have a process? Yeah, and I, I, I mean I don't write as much now as I used to, which I should. Um, I think. I, th- I mean, I, for me, the best way to write a song is to write the words first, or you know, to think. But I think that's why I'm not writing so many songs because I just think, ah, oh, I just don't know what to write about anymore. And maybe, maybe before I used to write kind of silly, silly songs that I. But now I feel like I don't want to write silly songs, or, or not silly, but I don't know. I want to write songs that mean something more more than I used to, I guess. So, but I think, and and yeah, I try to write the lyrics first and then put a melody to it. But but some, sometimes I muck around with the ukulele and I find a melody and then I like it, but I can't find words to fit that melody. So I should I should start with the words. Well, you never know. The, the words might come to the melody later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you usually write on the ukulele or? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Or, the, or if there's a piano around, I'll, I'll play that. And I, mean, and I play banjo, but I sort of, wow, it hasn't come out since I've moved to Tasmania five months ago, so. Um, it's at the moment. I, I actually I've been playing bass guitar lately with my sister, so um, it's just like a big ukulele, really, isn't it? <laughs> just because that was what was plugged into the to the amp, and my sister was playing electric guitar, so that might be something we do now for a while. <laughs> when did you start writing songs? Oh, when I was when I was young, when I was a child. I, I my first song was um about Santa Claus. Oh, nice. Do you remember what was the title? I think it was just called Santa. <laughs> Santa brings gifts to the kiddies. Santa brings the kiddies their goodies. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Oh, that's good. You should you should re-release as a single. <laughs> oh, I think we've got we, we had a video camera when we were little, so there's a video version of it somewhere tucked away. But you, you wouldn't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about your sort of part in the Australian ukulele scene then, having? Sort of, I guess you didn't mean to, but you, you, you spurred a lot of it with the ukulele land. Oh, did I? I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think... Well, I think you did because from that, uh, a guy from the St. George and Sutherland Community College asked me to teach ukulele down the Sutherland Shire. And then from that, the first Sydney ukulele group sprang up and then and now there's like, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think you are the link. I never really thought of it like that, but that's good. But but I suppose you know, I mean, I was just a little part of it, really, because it wouldn't have happened without all the all the ukulele performers or or you you people. So, but I guess yeah. So I think we I think we did it. We did it. <laughs> it was a team effort. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me about your your earlier days. Then you said you spent thirty one years sort of travelling around. What were you What were you doing? What was the, well, Did you have a plan, or were you just floating around? What What were you doing? Oh uh, no. <laughs> I, I went to um I moved to Sydney when I left school because that's what you do in Tasmania. You move to the mainland, you know where where there's more TV channels and things like, things like that. <laughs> but I oh, know I just followed my brother and sister actually. But um oh, I went to art school in Sydney and and did sort of performance art and sound kind of sound stuff. So and and did yeah and did lots of kind of experimental kind of theatre performance and music stuff. And then, but then, I was in Sydney for I don't know. I think about eleven years, 
But and then in the last few years, I started to go to Europe to do music for things or bands touring or something. So that kind of opened up my eyes to to something else, <laughs> to a bigger world beyond Sydney. And then and then when I, I come back to Sydney, and I kind of I don't know, I, I I get I get restless, I guess, and I I don't know, I, I sort of make <laughs> seem to make decisions quite suddenly. I just thought, oh, I think I might move to Melbourne to see what that's like. And then, you know, I guess I'd heard, I don't know, I think it was, you know, Sydney was sort of changing around uh, after the Olympics, I guess. Ven- you know, venues, were, it just felt really, felt quite different. I think, I think I, I was, I think Sydney was in the 90s was really fantastic. I was talking about that actually yesterday with a friend, how it's such a great time when you're kind of in your 20s and sharing, share houses, you know, it's just so full of action and people and interactions and lots of music and bands and stuff. And then, so anyway, so I'm, I suddenly was on a train to Melbourne with my ukulele, my suitcase, and my bicycle. <laughs> and I and I knew, I think I knew one person in Melbourne, sort of, not that well, but. And then, yeah, so that was a whole new adventure. And then, so then there was kind of the Melbourne chapter, which I was there for about eleven years too, I think, twelve years. But I'd sort of, I'd, yeah, I'd go on adventures a lot. I kind of, and I moved. I, I think I've I counted the other day that I've lived in about twenty five houses in um, the last 30 years. So <laughs> it makes me sound like I got kicked out of houses all the time, but I chose, I chose you to chose move. chose to leave. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, and then, and, you know, then I, I I never had a car in Sydney because I hated the idea of having a car. But then but then when I, when in Melbourne I got a dog and I really wanted to travel around and do gigs and, and I couldn't take my dog on the train, so I had to buy a car. So I bought a van. So, so then that kind of meant that I was a bit more mobile and could go to little towns and do gigs and and then as as ukulele clubs started popping up I'd go and I'd kind of go to towns where there was a ukulele club and do workshops and it's kind of a reason to go to go to places you mentioned your dog scuffy there uh he's actually he's been on a, a record of yours hasn't he or is it a she yeah she she's a she yeah she's a we've got a little hit a little song we do together <laughs> called oh scuffy because yeah because because she's a bit of she's a bit of a barking dog. Well, a bit of she's a barking dog. She's got a kelpie in her. And so when she was little, my friend said, oh, if, "If you can teach her to sing, you can teach her to s- stop singing." You know, like to right stop barking. Yeah, but yeah, but um, <laughs> I couldn't teach her to stop. But so I'd start when she was a tiny puppy. I'd go sing, and she when she was kind of doing this kind of like before it became a bark, <laughs> it was kind of like this was singing. And whenever she was doing that, I'd say sing, and then it became. When I did that, she'd just bark twice, and then, so then I, I put it in a song. But she doesn't really do it anymore. <laughs> She's over it. She's uh, retired. Well, she did it. We did it live a few times. If we were somewhere where you could have dogs inside, like I don't know, little cafes or outdoor gigs, she was. She'd often just sleep with me, just curl up on the stage next to me, and then I'd do the song. <laughs> but the last time I tried to do that, she just, she just kind of looked at me and then went back to sleep. She was like sick of being exploited. She's not getting any of the money. No, well, well, she is in in food, maybe. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, speaking of food, uh, you've released two volumes of a cookbook called "What Do Ukulele Players Eat?" Yes, that's right. Where did that idea come from? So, well, firstly, explain the concept, and then tell us where it came from. So it's a, it's they're cookbooks. Um, I I just asked, I just put the word out in the in the international ukulele community about um, asking people to send a recipe their favorite recipe and yeah so the the book's um favorite re- recipes of ukulele players and a, a little blurb and a photo about 
about the player. And the second one, I included a CD, so you could listen to the CD while you're cooking. But I don't know how it's... I think, you know, originally I wanted to... I don't know how long ago that was. I wanted to... I was thinking about making a book about the history of of ukulele in Australia. So I kind of started collecting stories. But but then it was. I felt like it was... It was when things were changing fast and clubs were starting up, like the Melbourne Ukulele Collective had started and other clubs were starting to happen. I felt like it was everything was happening so fast. You know, how can I write a history book when it's moving so fast? It's never going to document this important time. So then I thought, I'll just do, I'll do something really easy. I'll just <laughs> do something that's – because I, I don't know, I must have just had the urge to put a book out. Is food, food a big part of your life? Oh, yeah, I love food. I'm growing lots of vegetables in my new house so that I can uh, can live off the land. Yeah. Well, well let yeah. me turn the tables on you then. Uh, what's your favourite recipe right now? Oh, right, okay. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, at the moment, it, it's really boring. Well, but it's it's just um, garlic and lots of different greens from, the, from my garden. Mm, well, that's healthy. <laughs> and a bit of lemon juice and a bit of seaweed sprinkled on the top. Is that too boring and healthy? No, it sounds good. Uh, I should try it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, you say you you were thinking about writing a book about the history of ukulele in Australia. What can you Mm. tell us about the history? I I don't really know because, I mean, I'm only a a recent transplant to the country. Um, Did did you get very far with your research? Um, Yeah, it was... Oh, wow, you've put me on the spot here. Let me try and remember. I mean, I think... I'm not very good with remembering years, but there was... There was kind of, uh, I remember, ah, oh, sorry, I can't remember years. There was, but, you know, um, <laughs> if, I just want to say in this year, but I can't. Uh, but, you know, like pe- people did come out from Hawaii in America and, and like, be part of sort of big, um, you know, musical productions. Uh, and, ah, oh, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I guess it could have been in the tw- in the 20s, I would have guessed there would have been something happening a little bit because I, I know Duke Kahanamoku came out from Hawaii and, and did some surfing uh, sort of exhibitions at, at Bondi in the 20s, I believe. Ah, uh, yeah, right, right. And I know that George Formby uh, came out here in the either late 30s or early 40s, perhaps. And uh, I've seen an amazing picture of George Street in Sydney, the main street in Sydney, and it's just absolutely packed with people um, all sort of cheering on George Formby, which is amazing, wow. really. Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that bit, so, yeah, that's good. Yeah, well, it's certainly a, a worthwhile project. Maybe we should uh, get it going. Yeah, 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 well, maybe we should. No one, no one's doing that, are they? I don't know. It's probably, as you say, yeah. it was probably too soon before because everything was changing so rapidly, but I feel like every, some, things have kind of leveled off, so maybe it's a good time to do it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's maybe true. something for later. It would, it would, yeah, yeah, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? Now, apart from music, I mean, you're probably one of the most artistic people I know. Um, oh. <laughs> well, you're, you're very involved in the art scene. Um, tell us about your latest thing, which is Complimentary Caravan, which I, I just love. But tell the people about that. It's, um, you know, I really love caravans. I've always loved Well, them. you lived in a caravan for a while, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was just, um, I've, when I moved to Tasmania, actually, I, I took my two caravans, so it was... Um, it was a great way to move, actually. <laughs> so I just threw everything in caravans. But yes, yeah, so I was living. I was living in Central Victoria the last five years in a caravan. In oh, actually, well, well, or, and, and a bit in a house. But um, I'd just park it at the back of a friend's paddock, and 
and you know use their bathroom and stuff. But so I was sort of still part of the house, but had my own space. But oh, and in Melbourne, yeah, I did that in Melbourne for five years too because oh, I love them. I, I think they really. I think when I went to Europe for the first time, I met all these people who lived in these um, wagons, beautiful old wooden wagons, and lived all together. Where was that? You know, in a, in a community. Um, that was in Frankfurt, in Germany. And just seemed really practical. And in Belgium and Antwerp, people who, who yeah, they had those places as well. And and the family, people I stayed with, or these women grew up like that in a place like that. And it's like a really great community space, but you've still got your own little bubble to go into. So you know, so yes, so the complimentary caravan is basically, it's a caravan. I take it to festivals or event, events and. But before the event, I go to the town and I collect um, compliments. I, I ask people to re- uh, like audio recording. So I ask people to um, think of someone in their life and to say a compliment as if they're speaking directly to them. So, you know, you are beautiful or I love the way you – one of my favourites is I love the way you hug me. It feels like a warm cup of tea. So, so yeah, so people sit inside the caravan and just hear this kind of relentless positive – Positivity, an attack of positivity. Yeah, 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 and and I, yeah, and then I also do an insult show. Well, I've done it once, but I'd like to do that more. Where it's it's kind of a, a room of five really loud electric guitars, and you have to yell out insults, but you can't kind of hear your voice. But it's about kind of getting something off your chest, right? So it's sort of vent, vent, venting of frustration. Yeah, 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 and you can't. It's amazing. You can hardly even feel your own voice because the guitars are so loud. But um, that's not as popular. <laughs> no, people enjoy compliments a bit, a bit more. Um, do you have any, what? What else have you got in mind coming up? Um, oh, you know, because since I've moved to Tassie, it's this, I'm just starting to kind of, you know, work out what's going on there and what I can do. I, I, I've done a show, a performance, a few times um, that I'd like to try and do in Tassie. Hopefully, that's called Light at the End, and it's well, it's always performed by local refugees. In, and it's always performed inside a tunnel, so it kind of plays on light at the end of the tunnel. And it's just, it's, it's like a lot of this um, community kind of projects I do is all sound, has a strong sound element. So it's so that's all about their recorded stories about moments of light in their life. Have you connected with any of the ukulele community down in Tasmania? Um, I've met a, f- uh, I did a, oh, I've, I've met a couple Actually, because when, when I was in Tasmania years ago with um, Bosco and Honey, they they part of the safari. Yes, you know yeah. You yeah, you safari. safari so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, went, I joined them for the Tasmania bit and we played in Deloraine, which is right close to where I'm playing, where, where I'm living. And so I did bump into the woman who organised the gig for us there and she plays ukulele and her husband makes ukuleles. So I've bumped into her and I've done one workshop there. So I've, I've well, there was only five people came and they were all beginners, but... Yeah, yeah, and there's a, a um, there's a U three A ukulele class apparently just in in a, a village not far from me. Well, if you if you ever make make it to Hobart, there's the there's Hug, which is uh, one of the one of the best acronyms I think. The Hobart Ukulele Group. Yeah, 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 it's great. Um, isn't it? I remember yeah. I, I went on a little tour with Daniel Ho there a few years ago and had a great great workshop with them. So they they were a good one to look up. I, I remember visiting them. I visited them ages ago because my mum's in Hobart. Oh, there you go. So I did visit them once before a while ago. Yeah, it's everywhere, isn't it? But I think, I mean, there must be, there must be clubs in Launceston. I reckon I haven't looked yeah. it up. I have to check that out. And so was it? Was your mum a bit of a traveller as well, or was she always living in Tasmania? Yeah, my mum was. Yeah, she, she was not so much a traveller, but my my dad was. He was 
Well, he tra- traveled from ha- Hungary. Uh, so he came out from Hungary. When was that? He came out in 1939. Yeah, yeah, they were Jewish, but um, they had made a family pact to not be Jewish when they got to Tasmania. So it was, you know, safer and yeah. easier, I yeah. guess. It was strange enough to be Hungarian. In There wasn't really a Hungarian community in Tasmania, that's for sure. No. Um, yeah, so they just wanted to fit in and fit in and be normal, I suppose, like most a lot, lot of people. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I guess, and that sort of must uh, colour your, your work with um, refugees now, knowing that your dad was one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I know. And I just, you know, if he was alive, I just can't imagine what he would think of what's happening today, What, how the Australian Immigration Department is treating other humans. It's outrageously terrible. Yeah. You're doing what you can through art, and art is important in that way. I mean, a lot of the times art can change the world more than politics or many other things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and I, I've been in touch with, I mean, touch with some people on Manus Island, one man particularly I've been writing to for a few years, and I think, yeah, art is very useful for people's mental health and if if people have the strength to to use their, to yeah to use creativity it's um can be really amazing and yeah it can be really useful and helpful helpful for them well more generally then what what's your advice to anyone who's dreaming of living a more creative life ah oh, there's so many ways you can do art isn't there really isn't there i mean i guess and I guess it is about finding something that you feel connected to or a way you know um you know, if you're a writer or a drawer or whatever, I think you just got to try things. You just got to try. Uh, I don't know, and don't don't be um don't yeah I know I know what it is. It's like don't be don't be scared that it's not going to be good or it's not going to work. You just have to. I mean, I think you know, people who write songs, you write a lot of bad songs to get to a good song. Well, maybe not everyone, but <laughs> I do. But um, or you know, yeah, yeah, you're always you know painters. I'm sure are always doing something that they don't. That I don't love, but then you just got to keep moving. It's about, I think, it's about keeping to, keeping moving. Don't get stuck. Don't don't put too much pressure on yourself. Well, how do you like to relax then when you're not doing uh, art or uh, your activism? What do you What do you like to do? Hmm, what do I do? What do I do? I go for a walk with my dog. I, mean, I suppose I've always tried to do gardening, but it's yeah. I mean, for years, yeah, I've had years where I haven't because I've been depending where where I'm living or yeah. And but I think. The land is so um, great in, on the in Tassie, and I've got, I've got so much. I've got, I've got half an acre, which is kind of almost too much for me, really. But because there's not, there's a few fruit trees, but not too much planted. So, so I'm just so yeah. So I'm learning. I'm learning so much really fast about um, about gardening. Yeah, it's 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 good. So it's a whole new yeah. It's a whole new big area for me. I guess that I'm spending time spending time with. And that, and that can be a creative thing as well. Just even thinking what what shape I want to have this garden bed. Garden bed. What about a ukulele shaped garden bed? Oh yeah, yeah, that would work, wouldn't it? Put a big thing in the middle, <laughs> yeah, like a tree yeah, yeah, in the yeah, middle yeah, with yeah, a sound yeah, hole. Yeah, I could do that. I could do that. <laughs> row, like four rows of lettuces for the strings or something. Yeah, okay, okay. I think I can do that. One question which I've never asked, which I'm not sure why I haven't asked, but why turtle in Rose Turtle Ertler? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a little zine about that called "Why Why There's a Turtle in My Name." Um, well, it's 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 there's kind of stories from my dad actually that that all had a turtle. Like, I've, we've got this turtle shell that um, my dad was living on Thursday Island for a while before he was married, and he was um, 
well, the, so the story goes, he was kind of like shipwrecked or that's a bit dramatic, ran aground. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they, they were trying to save a man who'd been, a local man who'd been um, bitten by a shark who, who ended up not surviving. But they the ship sank and Dad sort of just retrieved a few of his belongings, which were a few shells and this turtle shell. So he must have hunted. Hopefully it wasn't an endangered one. But um and then oh and then and I used to I remember when I was learning swimming at the Devonport Olympic swimming pool, I'd swim on his back and I felt like a turtle. And <laughs> and and also he used to live in a boarding house of a woman called Mrs. Turtle in Sydney. But she preferred to be called Mrs. Turtle. Anyway, so I don't know, it just felt like this word was had sort of come up a bit and when I was in Sydney I was doing um I was starting a publicity business with a friend to do kind of to publicise all our friends' theatre shows, but we ended up not doing it because she moved overseas. But but we were making our business cards and we thought, oh, let's make kind of you know let's change our names or make good names. And so I put Rose Turtle. Yeah, I just thought I changed it to Turtle. Anyway, and then and then later my sister saw my name Rose Turtle on a flyer and she wrote on the end Ertlach because she wanted them to know that. She wanted people to know that we were sisters. <laughs> and, and so so then I put the Ertler back. And I was thinking, yeah, I love that family name. And so, yeah, so now I'm stuck with stuck with it, really. How has the ukulele shaped your life? Oh, ah, it's um, that's a good question, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I guess it's been it's a it's been a tool, I guess, um, to connect with people. Um, is that, is that answer the question, and and I, I guess it kind of opened it's opened doors to. Well, I mean, in a, you know, it's allowed me to be part of this whole, you know, um, international network, I guess, of people. You know, and you might not have anything else in common except this little instrument, and I think that's pretty special. So it's, you know, I've, I've been able to meet some really some amazing people all around the world. Do you have a couple of highlights from your ukulele travels with, you know, international ukulele travels? I think I think the New York ukulele festival was pretty special. I felt pretty I mean it was just you know, it just sounds so exotic or you know, so exciting to be in New York at the ukulele festival. And I think yeah, and I suppose I because I met some people who who I heard about, you know, um like Little Rev, oh, he was a beautiful player and John John King who was played beautiful classical and so that so that was really great because you know, I guess you feel like you're sort of with you know, some of the best ukulele players in the world and it was also good. Um, it was great to also to go to New Zealand and to hang out with the Nukes. We we have I've been there a couple of times and we've done kind of a bit of touring in t- in Australia together. Have you uh, have you been to Hawaii? No, I haven't. You've been lots, haven't you? Yeah, no, I've been there quite a lot. Yeah, and hoping to go next year for my fortieth birthday. Actually, ah, oh, great. Final question then. <laughs> Describe the ukulele in one word. Oh, okay. That's really difficult. Um, oh, my mind's just gone blank. Okay, so um, I was going to say versatile, but that's actually just not very interesting. Uh, um, mm, adorable. It is adorable, <laughs> absolutely, and and versatile. Yeah, yeah, that's it. All right, perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's my word. Well, that was a lovely chat. Thank you very much, Rose, for joining me. Thank you. Thanks. It's great you're doing this.
Yeah, well, it's, it's just to get the stories out there, you know, because as I said before, you know, we well, when we were off air, I was saying that uh, I've known a lot of ukulele players for a long time, but we don't necessarily know too much about each other. Yeah, that's right. And we kind of bump into each other at festivals and I'll have to interview you one day. I need to know about you now. <laughs> yeah, well, you could. Absolutely. Hey, look, I'm up for it. So thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Thanks. See ya. Wasn't she great? And now I finally know why there's a turtle in her name. To keep up with Rose and all her creative endeavours, be sure to check out her website at roseturtleertler.com. And if you're enjoying ukulele stories, please rate the podcast and subscribe so you never miss an episode. To close the show, here's Rose with Storm Song from her lovely 2015 album, Bird. Until next time, keep on strumming.
After the storm had calmed and had a minute to catch his breath, took the time to look around and see what a terrible, terrible mess. Sorry, he cried as he swept all the leaves and repaired the broken limbs. I will rest on my land and fill the air with slowness and try to make amends. I, I, I will try. I.